Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. Hi, I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and welcome to Let's Talk PR and More. Today's guest is Art Stevens. Art is managing partner of the Stevens Group, a consulting organization that specializes in facilitating mergers and acquisitions in public relations and related marketing communications <coughs> industries. It also provides consulting and PR agency management, profitability, and strategic planning. Prior to founding the Stevens Group, Art was CEO of Lopes and Stevens, a legendary independent PR agency, which was eventually acquired by Publicis. Art is the recipient of PRSA's Patrick Jackson Award for Lifetime Achievement to the Organization and the PR Profession, the John Hill Award for PRSA New York for Lifetime Achievement, and he's even inducted into City College's New York Communications Alumni Hall of Fame. I have to say, I've known Art for almost my entire career, and he's one of the <laughs> best, so I'm so happy he's here today. Welcome, Art. Oh, it's great to be here, Sherry. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to enjoy this conversation with you. Oh, great. There's so many things I want to talk to you about today, but let me start first with your perspective of the PR industry today, which I think for me is so different than the industry I joined, and I'm so sure it's so different from the industry that you first went into. It's quite different, Sherry. There's no question about it. I started in the mimeograph, you know, fax machine uh, era. <laughs> I remember that one. Which is long since gone, you know, to be replaced, of course, by artificial intelligence. That's a which whole is where other we're at conversation. Today. The industry today is, is really booming. There's no question about that. I mean, in your introduction, which was very, very kind of you to say all those nice things about me. All true. I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm the same person that you described, but, <laughs> uh, but I guess I am. You are. You definitely are. <laughs> the industry is, is really booming, you know. I mean, uh, PR agencies are sprouting up overnight everywhere around the world, around the country. If you look Look at the rankings, you know, the O'Dwyers and the uh, Paul Holmes, PR, PR Vogue, however he pronounces it. You see that agencies' revenues have risen dramatically over the past two to three years. Despite the pandemic, agencies have really come back strong. It's just a booming time. Who would, who would ever have thought that we'd have a PR agency that does, does over a billion dollars a year like Edelman does? I mean, that was like, you know, that, that was like a fantasy, you know, ten, even 10 years ago. But the industry is doing well. Obviously, the clients are poor into the agencies, which makes the agency's revenues rise. And that means that, uh, you know, clients throughout the, throughout the world are assessing their communications needs and deciding that public relations is the way to go and that agencies are certainly a great outside source for them. I'm glad to hear that as someone who spent my whole career on the agency side of the business, because there was a period of time that it didn't look like the agency business was thriving. There was so much consolidation. There were companies going, we can take it in-house. It's cheaper. It's not better. It's not better and cheaper necessarily. But so I'm glad to see agencies are thriving today. What's interesting is, you know, we, we look at the uh, the standard industry ranking sources like O'Dwyer's and uh, right. Paul Holmes and what have you. 
you know, Paul Holmes does the uh, annually, he does the top 250 public relations firms in the world, and he includes their revenues. But uh, there are so many firms around the country that are not not in the rankings. They decided for their own reasons that they don't need to be. They don't need to be in, in, in these, obviously, annual rankings. And yet there are agencies that are doing so well that I've come across in my work that, that make it clear the agency business is just booming, Sherry. There are so many agencies that perhaps are unknown to us, but in their areas and different parts of the country, they are truly booming. So it is really a good So our agencies, obviously some are becoming more specialized. When I started, we were all the classic generalists, but now it's the age of specialization. And I don't know if that's changing it. But when I think of agencies, many are headed by entrepreneurs, um, eponymous firms, Loves and Stevens, Golden Communications Group. So are agencies today that are thriving more smaller and more entrepreneurial? And then, of course, we have the elite class, the Adelmans, the Rubensteins, the Burson, well, now Burson Cohn-Wolf. All of that. Are there two tiers of agencies? Well, yes. They have tended to become more and more niche-oriented. There's no question about that. But there are still the general agencies, agencies who will take clients, you know, from any, any niche, any industry. The people who start the niche agencies, you know, are people who obviously come out of that particular niche themselves. And they feel that, you know, by focusing solely on that niche, you know, that they can provide a service that the general agencies, you know, can't because they are so knowledgeable about that niche, whether it's technology or healthcare or pharmaceutical, uh, you know, drugs right. or or financial services, whatever the niche may be. The, these players seem to feel that the niches are theirs to capture because they have that experience. But, you know, the generalists are not going away. So it's an interesting blend out there in the marketplace between the generalists, you know, the agencies that will take whatever accounts that come their way, and those uh, that are niche-oriented who will simply focus on the niche that they themselves have experience in. So, you know, there's room for everybody. Well, I'm glad to hear about that. But um, (laughs) nice to know there's still room for us. Um, And I know you do a lot of work, obviously, as I said in your introduction, with facilitating mergers and acquisitions, but also agency management. So many people, and I think you just mentioned this briefly, found the niche, started the agency themselves. Should when someone's starting an agency say, because I have a niche, or should it be, I have an end game, and I'm doing this with the intention of, I'm going to do this for a few years and sell, cash out, be part of something bigger that maybe someone wants to buy my expertise. You know, most people don't think that way. And I never thought that way, you know, when I started my agency uh, in the the 16th century. Right, but this is a different (laughs) world now. I mean, when you started your agencies, I mean, holding companies were first coming into play. I mean, I remember the initial consolidation of this industry. It was scary when all the holding companies came in and started glomming up. Well, yeah, these holding companies, you know, acquired the, the very big firms. They yeah. acquired, you know, Burson Marsteller, you know, they acquired Weber Shanwick, Fleischman Hillard, and all of those big players. You know, they're, most of the big ones are now part of holding companies without Absolutely. question, but they do operate autonomously, you know, to continue to grow. But when you, when you start an agency, you know, going back to your question, you don't really think about, you know, what's really up ahead 
going to make this grow and then I'm going to sell it. I think very few people think along those lines when they start an agency. What they think about is, you know, I I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to do this on my own. I want to start something that uh, that I have control over and, you know, and see where it goes. So I think the, the, the first goal is to get a business up and running, you know, and make it last by getting new clients uh, periodically and, 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 and growing. So that, that's the first goal. They don't think about, you know, what, when they're going to sell their agency. I never did. I really never did. I mean, it, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I mean, in fact, it was so far from my mind that I never even thought about it or, or knew that such, a, such an option existed, you know, when I started <laughs> my agency, honestly. So my goal was just to scramble to get a few clients, you know, to put a shingle on the door, you know, call it, I remember my original agency was called the Stevens, uh, it was called Stevens Public Relations, see, I almost forgot, Stevens Public Relations, and, uh, and just trying to get some clients, you know, and when, once I did that and realized, you know, well, okay, I'm going to be around a while because I have some clients and now I'll try to get some more, Th- those are the initial you know, considerations, and, uh, and I think that's where most most people's heads are who start agencies nowadays. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, in the tech space, when anybody starts a new company in tech, they immediately figure I'm going to go public and, and get stock and be a bazillionaire in 18 months, you know, which is why when he had one of those lovely tech crashes because everybody just figured it was easy. It's not so easy. You no, know, it's, I think not, we all know. It's, it's not yeah. so easy to start a business. And it, let's put, it's easy to start a business. It's not so easy to sustain a business and grow a business. Yeah. But you know what else is a factor, Sherry? Most people who start agencies, and that really includes me. I don't know about you, but it certainly includes me. I didn't know a thing about running a business. I mean, I was good at public relations. You know, that was obviously, uh, you know, the background from which I started an agency. But, I, you know, I worked on accounts uh, and so on. You know, I worked for other people. But when I started my own agency, I realized, you know, there was more to it than just, you know, working on accounts. You know, I had to learn how to run a business. I had to learn, you know, how to do invoicing and billing and, uh, you know, administrative stuff that I had never done before. You know, so starting a business, whether it's a public relations business or or the corner butcher shop, you've got to know, you know, you've got to learn how to run a business and all that it involves. And that's something that a lot of PR people who start businesses are not aware of. And you have to like that business because if you start a business, even a PR agency, you're going to be spending more time on the business than account work, especially yeah. if you're going to grow. You have to bring in great people to work with you. Right. You know, and speaking of that, <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why, you know, given what I now do and have learned more about, you know, what's, what's going on in the heads of PR agency owners, that's one of the reasons why a lot of agency owners currently w- want to sell their businesses. They are tired of doing the admin work. They are tired of doing the back office work, you know, and, and having to supervise that and making sure, you know, that invoices are collected on time, you know, and that there's enough cash flow to run the business and, and that, you know, they can cover payroll next week and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the agency heads today are getting tired of that and they want somebody else to handle that. And that's one of the reasons they, they want, you know, to be acquired so that the acquiring company can provide all of those services. Is that the main reason? That's interesting. I would not have thought that to be the main reason, but that's interesting. It does make a lot of sense because, I mean, listen, even internally, when you're working in a large agency in an account group, right, you get promoted because you're good at it. And then suddenly you're responsible for staff utilization and your group's P&L. And it's like budgeting. It's like, 
that may not be so fun for everybody. They wanted to just pitch media or they wanted to run events or they wanted to just deal with clients. So that's interesting that you would say that because it does make sense. It's a rude awakening, Sherry. It is. It really is for when a lot of people ca- who... Cash flow is tough when clients well, that's or prospects right. That's right. The, buck, you... the buck literally stops with you. And if I... you don't get the buck coming in, you know, in the mail or by, you know, by online, you won't be able to uh, pay your employees, you nope. know? So that's, a, that's what keeps uh, agency owners up at night. Yep. And usually as the agency owner, you're the last one to get paid because you make payroll first, but you are the bottom of the ranking, not that's at right. the top that's of the list. That's absolutely right. That's right. You know, I mean, I remember starting my agency, uh, you know, and I, I hired a couple of people right away because I didn't want to do it all myself, but I didn't pay myself for a long period of time, you know, and, you know, had to obviously pay the people that I, that I hired. But I think that was the way I wanted to go and it worked out well for me, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, but you got, you have to have enough cash to start a business, and that's another consideration. Absolutely. Uh, ab- and you have to really know what your strengths and weaknesses are, I would think. You know, are you good at account? Are you good at new business? Are you good at admin? Are you good at delegating and working with a team? Because you're going to need a team to launch a successful business or to rely on people. Well, when you start a business, you really, as you as you say, you really get to know what your what your capabilities are. You know what your limitations are and what your strengths are. You know you can really you, you could be great at media placement, but you could be terrible. You know at billing and sending out invoices. <laughs> Uh, you know, or you have to learn how to, you know, obviously supervise people and make them even more accountable now that's now that it's your own business than before when you worked for another organization. So there are things that you learn about yourself after you start a business, and uh, you know, the more you are able to adapt, you know, to your capabilities, the better your business will be. Do you think it's harder today than it was then? And the reason I say that is, so many people seem to have hung out their own shingle or. And I see this more with social and digital because even if we pitch something and a piece of business has social, they go, my kid knows how to Instagram. And I'm like, well, what's the strategy for your social media plan? Well, my kid can post on Instagram. So I think everybody thinks it's a quick fix. We'll just do digital. We'll just post it out there. So you have a lot, a lot of independent people. There's nothing wrong with solo practitioners, but they're not businesses. Some of them are literally just gig workers to have a a gig here and there. It's more competition, but not the easiest competition to compete against. Well, I think think the, the differentiator, Sherry, is the ability to provide counsel and strategic thinking which I think everybody clients. should have, yes. I do and not everybody it. has that. You know, some people are really terrific at media placement, but there's no strategy behind it. There's no branding. There's no, you know, there's no game plan as to what it is that you want your client to be and to do. And part of that is having rapport with the CEO, you know, of your client company so that you get into the C-suite and are able to advise, you know, the senior management of a company as to what steps they should take. Now, that takes a lot of experience. You know, if you start your agency, obviously, it's really much better if you have a fair amount of experience at practicing the profession of public relations prior to starting an agency. Because if you start an agency, you know, you, you do so under the premise that you have something to offer perhaps more so than the company you previously worked at, and you will have gained all that experience in doing public relations prior to starting your own agency. I think it makes sense for somebody who comes right out of college to start a PR agency because that person has really nothing to offer. But the people who start agencies obviously have some degree of experience. So, you know, you always see these people who come from, you know, big or small agencies and, and start their own, as you probably did, have something to offer. 
Yeah, I came out of I worked in this. I worked in the media, but then I worked in this business a long time, and I was senior vice president of Ruder Finn and of Roland. I came out of the very large agencies for after a long period. Well, there of you time. go. There yeah. you go. You but, see, but I will say, as somebody who also teaches college, so many students these days figure, I'll just start my own thing. I'll just do it and be my own boss and be my own control and I'll have one client. We need to educate clients that they need that senior thinking because that senior thinking is key for their brand, for their business. Yes, it is. I always say to people, you know, the the junior people are are good. We were all junior people once, but you can only hear with the gray hair you have. And I have a lot of it. I dye it. You won't see it, but um, (laughs) that's my thing that I tell everybody. But But we know it's there, right? We know it's there. I know it's there. Yes. (laughs) But you can only hear with the experience that you have. So when someone says something, it's in a context. You're like, I know what's going to happen next. Well, that's right. You know, and look, clients are no dummies. You know, I mean, as as you know, the a lot of agencies continue to do, you know, bait and switch. Yes. And, uh, you know, they will bring their senior people in for a new business presentation and the client thinks that they're going to get those people. but And suddenly when the account starts, you know, you find, you know, junior people, some of whom are still wearing diapers. <laughs> they're, they're my so. students. They're adorable, but they're interns. Or it's well, they don't have the knowledge. The they don't have the skills. Well, you know, they don't I'm have saying. the experience. Yeah. No. They haven't been in it, you know. So how, how can they provide counsel and advice to, you know, to a client or a CEO or a, or a marketing vice president. They just can't. No, they can't. They can learn, and someday they could be us, but they can't. They can't. They don't have that experience. That's what I'm saying. You can only hear with the experience that you have. And I think clients know that, Sherry. They do. I'm glad to hear that because sometimes I've, I've wondered. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that they still do because I think PR is more respected than ever before. It, it's in the C-suite more than ever before. It's mm. critical more than ever before. So yeah. we need to do a good job of doing yeah. that. You know the agencies who really succeed well, you know, uh, you know, in line with what we're just discussing now? The agencies that provide total senior management, you know, to every client. There are agencies that will not hire junior people. They just won't. If they do, maybe, you know, they're, they're not meant to interface in any way whatsoever with, with clients. And those agencies, you know, provide people who have a very deep experience. So the agencies that have a deep bench uh, win the confidence of clients more than those agencies that rely on on mostly junior people. And that, that's, that's what I have been seeing over the past number of years. I'm glad to see that. That was my um, philosophy when I started the agents. My, my consultancy was senior level thinking, but not the senior level. Yeah, and I wanted to be the account manager on the pieces of business so clients knew they got senior people. Well, you made the right move. Well, thank you. And I know you do a lot. Again, I'm just going to go back to acquired, not acquired, because I know that's one of the things. What's a good time for an agency entrepreneur that's done this for 10 years, 15 years? It's, it's what do they need to think about to go should i continue this route should i go another route and who does what does acquiring companies look for when they say we're looking to to buy an agency are they buying an agency are they buying the client list are they buying the expertise or acquiring what are they what are they looking for well there, there are three main things they initially look for you know they look for talent okay they look for growth they look for location, you know, geography, and they look for niche. A buyer is looking for a technology firm, for example, because uh, it, it wants to complement its own services, you know, with, with a deeper bench in technology. Then it will identify, you know, hopefully through somebody like me, it will identify, you know, a, a seller, 
that has the uh, you know the the managerial and the talent and the deep bench uh, has shown growth. Uh, is of a certain size, you know, that the buyer feels it can afford, depending upon its size. And if it wants it in a specific location, <clears throat> you know, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, you know, then we narrow the search even more. So from a buyer's point of view, it, they're looking for, for an agency that, you know, that has sh- demonstrated growth. Because if it's flat, you know, if it's, uh, and if it's gone backwards somewhat, it doesn't seem to be in an enviable position for a buyer to have a lot of confidence that that firm can, you know, can turn its rudder around and, uh, and begin to succeed where, where it's been flat. So th- those are some of the criteria. Okay. When you say talent, are they looking for senior management to stay or are they looking for that transition period? I know from, you know, I've seen mergers that have happened over the years, and usually the senior people stay for, what, a year or something, and they go. But it's, it's, it's buying, in essence, the client and the expertise. No, the buyer, the buyer wants the founder and the uh, principal to stay for at least three years. That's, that's okay. really the rule of thumb, you know, because deals, deals are really usually predicated on what, what we call an earnout, you know, which means that, you know, that the uh, buyer minimizes uh, risk, you know, by... Uh, assuming you know that the seller will continue to grow you know for say the next three years and uh, the the seller benefits from the growth that you know that he or she achieves during that time period but uh, no, no buyer really wants to see a the principal of a selling agency leave you know like in just one year because you know this is a people business it's not like uh, you're selling spark plugs uh, you know a manufacturer of spark plugs where Anybody else can jump in and be president, but in a people business that provides, you know, services uh, that that our profession provides, they want that principle to to hang around, you know, for for at least three years, and that's really the rule of thumb. So that's good. They do want that continuity, and, and I think that's important because I've always thought it's a people business, and and it shouldn't just be about the book of business, but about the people who work on the business, yeah, and about the relationships. I would say that agencies are really, you know, I mean, a book of business, you know, if you're looking for a niche, you know, that, you know, that's certainly a marker, you know, if right. you're technology or, or uh, health care. But uh, what they're really, really looking for is, is really depth of management and ma- management capability. I mean, that, that's, that's the primary uh, consideration. Is there a problem when you merge cultures together? Does culture have to factor in when you're looking to Absolutely. A As a matter of fact, you know, that's probably, I'm glad you raised that because, you know, that's probably just as important, if not more important, than the actual purchase price, you know, that the seller will get. Because it's like a marriage, you know, if you're not compatible, <laughs> oh, sure. you know, then it's not going to be a happy marriage. So culture is very, very important, you know, and that's one of the things I stress, you know, when I uh, bring buyer and seller together, you know, I look for, if if I'm representing a seller, you know, uh, which is what I do primarily, you know, more sellers than buyers. Mm -hmm. uh, But what I look for is not, not just a firm to, would you know w- w- that is open to acquisitions, but a firm whose culture uh, complements directly that of the seller. Uh, there's got to be compatibility. There's got to be a meeting of the minds. There's got to be a meeting of the minds on quality of life, you know, and, and the workplace environment, you know, and 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 the service to clients, you know, would be that all important consideration. So culture is an extremely important factor, you know, in, in bringing two parties together. Because I assume you want the employees to stay, right? The account people to stay. You have a contract with the senior people, but you want the account people to stay if they're jumping ship. It's not good. And you want the clients to feel 
that there's a continuity and they haven't had bait and switch with a different agency, even though it's the same person. They want to feel it's that same level of thinking, that same level of expertise, commitment to them and what their goals are. Absolutely. If you know, if you're a buyer, you, you want people to stay. You know, you're not in there to, you know, to chop heads off or anything like that. You're buying a people business and uh, without those people, you know, without the continuity, things could really go downhill pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> so you want those people to stay and and the way to do it is, you know, is to work with the seller to make this, you know, so exciting for, you know, for all employees that, you know, that they are totally tranced by the prospect of of this new organization working with them to enhance their careers. Key is that each person obviously is interested in his or her own well-being, and if that is assured, you know, by virtue of, of the uh, of the acquisition, what will be the future of the uh, of the firm that, that that they're with that is selling to the uh, to the larger organization? If if that is a, an exciting moment for them, they will stay. They will not they, they will not leave. I have not seen any situation where people would just leave, you know, willy-nilly because they think that it's, uh, you know, it's a threat to their future or they don't like the environment. You know, that has all been uh, planned well in advance. That's good to know because usually when you get bought or something happens, it could be a scary time as to what's going to happen for me. So it sounds like that's a good match. That yeah, you I mean, it's, really become, it a it's become a very sophisticated situation. I mean, those, those plans are made, you know, well in advance of, uh, of even announcing an acquisition, you know, to, uh, to employees. You know, obviously, those discussions usually take place in the strictness of confidentiality because the seller doesn't want to know that uh, that uh, that his or her firm is on the market. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> so it's a well well kept secret, and and everybody, you know, who takes part in those discussions obviously understands that, and and uh, it's only at the last moment, you know, when the deal is just about to be consummated, you know, that employees are brought in and told about this exciting, you know, situation. Sounds good. We're almost out of time, but I want to switch gears slightly because I know you're still involved with students, and I know that there's even an Art Stevens Scholarship where I teach at City College, and every year the Ad PR students apply for the Art Stevens Scholarship, which helps them out so much. So what advice would you give those coming into our industry or into PR? Those coming into our industry? Yeah, thinking of um, PR and coming into it. Well, if, if possible, even while you're in college, you know, look for an internship program, you know, because a lot of agencies and corporations and nonprofit organizations, you know, more and more offer, you know, intern internship situations. It's good to get that experience while you're, you know, while you're majoring in public relations. And as you know, City College has one of the best PR majors in the country, you know, originally led by, you know, Lynn Applebaum, who really created a wonder uh, just a wonderful program there. As a as an alumnus of City College, I obviously decided to to give something back. You know, because uh, I was grateful for the opportunity to 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 learn at City College, which I re- still regard as one of the best colleges in in the in the world. And I wanted to give something back. But as far as what you, you know, uh, young people can do to gain more experience. You know, get that intern internship. You know, volunteer. Don't just use the textbooks. You know, or, or the classroom experience to learn about public relations, you know, get out there, you know, be aggressive, get an internship, you know, do volunteer work, you know, in a, in a public relations capacity for, say, some, some nonprofit organization. But get that experience. That'll really help you get a good job, you know, when you graduate from college. I think that's great advice, Art. 
Arn, thanks so much for taking time to be here today. It's so great to talk to you. Sherry, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's Let's Talk PR and More for today. You can find more information about the show and about me at Goldman Communications Group's website, www.goldmanpr.net. And if you want to hear the show again, you can listen to the podcast, which is posted on Goldman Communications Group's website, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and most podcast sites. Thank you for listening again. I look forward to talking PR and more with you all again next week.